I want to start us off um, by reading something to you. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O oh Lord. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Does anyone know where I took that from? That's from the Psalms. It's from Psalm chapter 13. It's King David crying out to God, wondering, where are you, God? Can't you see the pain that I'm in? Can't you see all the defeats that I have before me? Can't you see that my enemy, the enemy of my soul, is triumphing over me and rejoicing about it? And David goes on to plead to God to give him light so he can clearly see and not die. And then David closes out his plea to God by essentially saying, Lord, I trust in your love for me and I rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to you because you are good to me. Now this whole prayer, poem, or spoken word, or whatever you want to call it, starts off like it is from a man who has been defeated. From a man who has been beaten down to nothing. From a man who can't even hear from his God. But yet this man still trusts his God and rejoices in him. Because of the salvation that he has been given. Even causing David to sing out to his God in worship. Now is this a man walking in defeat? Or is this really a man walking in victory? You know, that's what I love about spoken word, poems, or whatever you want to call them. The words just go deep into a person's soul to draw you into that person's little wor world for just a brief moment in time, to discover something that is going on very profound in that person's life. And I pondered upon the spoken word, or whatever you want to call it, from King David. When you start first reading this psalm, it, it appears that he has some pretty big thorns in his life that he had to deal with. And if you're aware of King David's story, some of those thorns were caused by his own sinful doing. For instance, David was facing some of the consequences of his sinful past that he couldn't seem to escape from. He was also f facing spiritual and physical enemies who wanted nothing more than to see David destroyed. These enemies were the people on the outside who were trying to destroy David, even people in his own family. And there was even the devil himself 
who was trying to destroy David from the inside out. And in this chapter of Psalm, David is just pouring his heart out to God because he is even saying, I can't hear from you, God. I can't hear you. He felt as if he was alone to wrestle with his own thoughts. How many of you know what David is talking about here? Wrestling with your own thoughts. Thoughts like, if I only did, or if I only didn't, oh, what a wretched person I've become. How am I going to get out of this mess that I got myself into? Maybe I'll just give up. Or maybe I'll just try harder. Wrestling with your thoughts. Has anybody, anybody been there before? But you see, David didn't give up. Because just a few words later in this same chapter, he shifts his thinking back onto the Lord. You know, he's just crying out to God of how he's feeling in the moment. We all do that. But he doesn't stay there. He shifts his thinking back on to the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Still dealing with a cough. Remembering his salvation. And he's also remembering how good God is. How good God has been to him. Even if David is currently still struggling in the moment to hear from God. David chooses instead to remember the goodness of God and sings praises to God. Even while he still suffers because of the thorns that are in his life. David is choosing to rely on God's sustaining grace instead of focusing on his thorns. God's sustaining grace moves the believer to an empowered and victorious life, even in the middle of the most difficult times and overwhelming obstacles. Now we all live, we know, we live in difficult times today. Although the economy is doing very well, except for this past week with the stock market, but depression in this country among people is at an all-time high. Suicide in this country among young people and teenagers is only second to accidental death in the mortality rate, and that's quickly gaining ground. The opioid epidemic and drug use among people continues to rise around the world. Infectious diseases continue to spread. There are wars and there are rumors of wars, as Jesus warned, would occur. And they continue to plague our world. There's political division that has been higher than, I can't remember a time where it hasn't been higher. And even churches, large denominations, that have been faithful for many years, are splitting. We live in troubled times today. So in a, it is weird in a way that I would be talking about God's grace in a time such as this. And by the way, it's going to get worse. Not that I'm saying it, God says it's going to get worse. 
The unbeliever can think to themselves, how dare Christians proclaim God's steadfast love and grace when it seems like their God has turned his back on them and on this world. I've heard unbelievers say that before. But today we are reminded how God moves in our lives with his sustaining grace. And my hope is that we will learn how to live graciously and gracefully to overcome the most difficult of times in our life. You see, there was another man recorded about in Scripture who had to deal with some difficulties in his own life. This man was a man who at one time in his life would be considered to be a religious hypocrite. He was a man who persecuted Christians, even ordering them to be killed because they dared to preach a different message than what his religion taught. Now, he was a man who eventually found and received grace from Jesus Christ. And he received that initial saving grace by God through turning from his evil ways and his hypocrisy and accepting Christ's love and grace in his life by coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet this man still had to deal with his past. And he needed God's sustaining grace over his life to move forward in power and love. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, previously known as Saul. Like King David, Paul too had thorns to deal with. If you have your Bibles, the scriptures should be up on the screen as well. Turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is explaining to the church all the amazing things God has shown him. In the beginning of this chapter, for instance, Paul tells the church how God brought him up to heaven through a vision. Well, Paul wasn't even sure if it was a vision. Paul was like, I can't even figure out if this is a vision or if this really happened. But he, was, he knew he saw heaven where he heard and he witnessed inexpressible and amazing things. Can you imagine for a moment God giving you the privilege and blessing to see heaven for yourself before your own eyes, before you even died? Paul was given that blessing. And after Paul shares about some of the most fantastic things that he experienced because of God, he says something interesting in his letter to the Corinth church. Starting in verse 7 of this chapter, Paul writes, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelation, revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, and in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Now, we don't know for sure what this thorn in the flesh Paul is referring to here. Paul never tells us what it is. Some biblical scholars suggest that this thorn in Paul's flesh was some sort of physical problem with his eyes that not only caused issues with Paul's vision, but also gave him a pretty nasty-looking appearance. There's some evidence of that found in another portion of Scripture that Paul was dealing with that physical problem. And I think it is possible this thorn in Paul's flesh could have been that problem with his eyes. However, I also think that Paul was dealing with multiple thorns in his life, both physical and emotional and even spiritual. Now, I could come to that conclusion because in these same verses, Paul refers to his weaknesses. He isn't using the singular here. He says, I delight in my weaknesses, the plural. Paul had multiple weaknesses that could be considered thorns in his life. But you see, Paul also had a different perspective on all the trials that he was enduring in his life. Paul sees this particular thorn in the flesh, for instance, in a positive light. He says that he also sees all the other weaknesses that he has in a positive light. Paul even believes that God gave him these weaknesses to him directly. Now, we probably don't think that Paul really believed that because even though he said it, because he does say right after that that it was a messenger of Satan who gave him those weaknesses. But what we do know nonetheless is that God allowed this thorn and other weaknesses in Paul's life to remain there. Even though Paul pleaded to God, at least for this particular thorn, three times for God to take it away from him. And as we know, Paul also had other weaknesses. And I'm sure he pleaded to God for him, God to take those weaknesses away from him too. But for whatever reason, God chose not to answer that prayer in the way Paul initially wanted his prayer answered. Now how many of you have a thorn or a weakness that is hanging over your life, that you plead to God every day to take away from you. Perhaps it's some physical issue or ailment like an illness or a disease. Perhaps it's something emotional that is always on your mind that you wrestle with every day, like King David had to wrestle with. Maybe it's some continual temptation over a particular sin or addiction that you can't seem to kick. And you plead to God, please God, please take it away, please take it away. But he doesn't. As a matter of fact, he seems to be silent about it. And then Satan steps in to accuse you of being some fake Christian because you can't seem to overcome this thorn or weakness in your life. 
making it even more difficult for you, especially when God is silent about it. You know, there are some Christians out there who believe and they will tell you, if you just had more faith, then God would heal and remove whatever weakness you're dealing with. They will also say that God does not answer your prayer because your faith is too weak. Now, I want to be as pointed as possible without offending anybody unnecessarily. But if you ever have a Christian that says that to you, point them back to the words found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Point them back to Paul. Point them back to David. You see, how dare anyone question your faith like that? Yes, we need to have faith when we pray. There's no doubt about it. Without faith, God is not going to answer any prayers. Faith is required when we pray. But we have to remember that we are not God's master. And we need to believe that God knows what is best for us. Not some other person who has no idea what is going on in our life and what God wants to do for us individually. We just need to believe that God is good, as David did, as Paul does, as every person we find in Scripture that has been considered faithful. God is good. Period. End of discussion. Now back to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What we need to discover is that Paul is living with this thorn in his flesh. <clears throat> and with all his other weaknesses. And he's still living in power and in hope. And that should bring all of us hope and inspiration for the struggles that we have in our own life. You see, God didn't answer Paul's prayer in the way Paul initially wanted his prayers answered to remove that thorn, but God gave Paul something more, something better. God gave Paul his sustaining grace. In verse 9, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God revealed to Paul that God's grace was sufficient for him in all circumstances. Now God may choose not to take your troubles, your temptations, or whatever it is that is ailing you away from you. There's difficulty. Some people may lose their jobs. Some people may lose their homes because they don't have a job. Some people may not make enough money to buy a new car because we can't afford what we have now. We may have a loved one who is sick and dying and we want nothing more than that person to remain with us just a little bit longer. We may have guilt hanging over our head for some of the wrong choices we've made in our past. And I'm sure you can think of many other troubles and hardships and pain some more difficult than others. And if we focus on all that, it leads a person 
to despair if you allow it to. David and Paul didn't allow that to. Now, you may not understand all the reasons why God won't take that thorn that is continually poking at you, but you can understand this. Jesus wants you to rely on him alone because he has the power over everything in your life for all eternity. His grace is enough for you. What we can learn from Paul is that Paul lived gracefully. Even with all of Paul's weaknesses, he could have chose to live a life of pride. I mean, think about it. Paul just got done talking about these amazing things. I've been brought to heaven. Look at all the stuff that I saw. Look at all the things I've, I've been able to... T- I even speak to Jesus personally. He had this intimate relationship with Jesus. But Paul remembered where he came from. Paul remembered the prideful man he once was. And he wasn't going back there any longer. Instead, Paul chose to stay focused on the Lord's blessings in his life, despite all the hardships that remained. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, are we only to give thanks to God when things are going good in our lives? Paul says to give thanks to God in all circumstances of our life, even saying that that is God's will for the Christian. And you may ask, how am I supposed to give thanks when things are not going well? How am I supposed to have this thankful heart? Well, God gave Paul that answer. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. If God's grace is enough, then we have to understand something. Grace has to be very, very precious and special. I mean, think about, again, David. Think about Paul. Think about all those hardships, all those things they were under, all those thorns. And God's saying, I know, I see all that stuff in your life. My grace is enough. What God is saying, my grace is bigger than that. My grace is more precious than that. Focus on that. Grace is enough. You know, I think back to when I was a child <coughs> at Christmas time. Now, back in those days, we didn't have the internet to look up the toys that we wanted to put on our Christmas wish list. By the way, has anybody seen that? YouTube kid that plays with toys. Um, I don't remember his name, but what's his name, Travis? Ryan. Ryan. This little boy gets paid to play with toys on YouTube. It's amazing. Jackson sits there and watches that boy all, he can sit there and watch that boy all day long. But back when I was a kid, we didn't have that. If we wanted to put a Christmas wish list together, we had to get into the Sears catalog and start writing down all the toys that we wanted. 
And I would give that toy when I was little. I would give that wish list to Santa and my parents and said, here's my list. Here's all the stuff that I want. And it never failed that for some reason, that kind of, when Christmas time came, all those toys I had on my list, well, most of them anyway, were not under the tree. <laughs> I was like, what's up with that? I put it down. I wrote it down. I said, this is my wish list. But I didn't get all that I wanted. But now that I'm a little older, well, maybe a lot older, a little wiser and have a better understanding about life, I realize what I remember most about Christmas morning was just being with my mom and my dad. It was being with my parents. I don't even remember the toys I put on my Christmas wish list. It meant nothing. What mattered most was being with the people you loved. And see, the point is, it's God's grace. His grace is like that. Because it's enough for us because he is with those people who are in Christ Jesus. If he is with us, what does all this other stuff matter, even the painful stuff? If he is with us, his grace is enough. His presence in our lives is enough. And when you live your life like that, in that kind of expectation, knowing that Christ is always with you, that he'll never leave your side because of his grace, his sustaining grace, you begin to be more graceful and gracious towards other people and are more thankful for the blessings that you have in your life. All because of his sustaining grace and his presence. You see, Paul doesn't stay focused on his thorn. Even though he knows it's there, his focus is not there. He doesn't stay focused on his weaknesses. He doesn't say what his weaknesses are, but let's assume they were some temptations. We all have temptations to sin, don't we? Pretty sure we do. Paul doesn't stay focused on that. He acknowledges it's there. But his focus is on God, Jesus Christ, in his life. You see, the question before every Christian is this. How are we going to finish the race? I spoke about that last week. That anyone who comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is already viewed from that moment as clean, spotless, and righteous in the eyes of God the Father. No matter where they're at in life, no matter what they have done, the moment they come into faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they are righteous. Just as righteous as any other Christian in the eyes of God. But the ultimate finish line in this life while we live here on this earth, is to become like Jesus. As he builds his kingdom in our heart, and as we go out and build his kingdom here, 
through the love and grace we give to other people. But you see, this race, while we're here on this earth, this race is a struggle. Paul speaks of this race in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 and 27. Listen to what he says. He says, do you, do you not know that in a race all the runners, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating in the air. That one sort of made me laugh because I'm thinking of this guy like just beating in the air at nothing. He says, no, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Think about what Paul is saying here in relation to that thorn that he has and all the other weaknesses he talks about in those previous verses. Have you ever had a thorn in your shoe? It hurts. Try running a marathon with a thorn in your shoe. How would that feel? You see... The prize that we are shooting for is to become like Jesus, but we still have all these thorns in our shoes that we're dealing with, per se. And it's going to hurt to get to that finish line of being just like Jesus. There will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be temptations to deal with. But if you foolishly choose to run this race on your own, with all those thorns, or in this analogy, the thorns in your shoes, you're going to fail miserably. Because even if you try to take those thorns out of your shoe, more will show up. It's just the world we live in. You can't keep pulling the thorns out constantly. It's not going to work. Those who foolishly try to run the race on their own while choosing not to focus on God's sustaining grace and his love for them and his presence in their life will either give up altogether because it hurts too much or they become prideful because they believe somehow they overcame the pain on their own. Paul says, I don't fight a man like running aimlessly or a man beating the air. He says, instead, I beat my body and make it my slave. Slave to what? Paul gives us that answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, where he writes, For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Despite our struggles, despite our temptations, despite our past, despite our pain, as Christians, we are to submit, surrender ourselves to Christ Jesus in everything, both the good, the painful, the bad, everything. He completely surrendered to Christ. And then he will help us. He will give us the power to overcome. He says it, I will give in your weaknesses, you will be strong when you're surrendered to him, and he will bring us to that finish line. 
to become like him. He will even carry us to that finish line if need be. If you're struggling today with a thorn in your flesh, a thorn in your spirit, maybe multiple thorns, here's what you can do. This is going to sound counterproductive. Stop fighting it. Don't be like the man Paul describes, punching in the air aimlessly. As you pray, you can ask God to take that thorn away. Nothing wrong with that. You can believe he will. But understand this, God may choose not to. He may choose to leave that thorn right where it's at. So you will surrender and submit yourself to him alone. Who has something better planned for you that will go beyond your imagination if you just surrender to him. But if you stay focused on that thorn all the time, instead of his grace, you're not going anywhere. You're just stuck. Focusing on all the pain. Focusing on all the temptations. You see what Paul saying here? Or God is saying to Paul, my grace is enough. My grace will sustain you. If you have a thorn, or multiple thorns that are holding you back, here are a few practical things you can do. First of all, if you haven't already, get right with God. Come to the cross and believe that Jesus paid it all for you. He took all your sins, everything on the cross with him, and he went through the ultimate pain of dying for you on the cross. He took even a full crown of thorns on his head and allowed someone to smush it into his skull to take that pain for you. When you cry out to him, don't you feel my pain? Yes, he does. He does feel your pain. But he doesn't want you to stay there. Because he's got so much better things for you. Have faith in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that, Jesus promises that he will never leave your side. Ever. He will be there for you. And as those thorns bring you to your knees, good. Because that's where Jesus can work in your life. That's why he leaves them there. So you don't become prideful. So you understand, I can't do this. Secondly, if you're already in a saving relationship with Jesus but are still trying to pull out those thorns again, after asking God even multiple times, just stop asking him. If you've been asking him multiple times, then remove it. The answer was probably, no, I'm going to leave him right there. And he wants you to submit yourself to him as a slave. If Jesus chose to leave that thorn where it's at, accept it. And just submit yourself. I realize this word slave, by the way, rightly has a bad meaning 
in this world. Slavery in this world is a horrible thing. But as Paul said, a truly free man is one who is a slave to Christ. Don't be a slave to the thorns of this world. Because that's what the truth is for people in this world. Even Christians, they're slaves to the thorns in their life. Instead of being a slave to Christ who wants to set them free. Accept that Jesus chose to leave the thorns right where they're at and give all your focus instead on submitting your heart to his grace and his love. And every time that thorn pokes at you, just pray to Jesus, Jesus, change my heart. Give my focus to you. Take my focus off this and have my focus be on you and your grace. Every time those temptations, those feelings of worthlessness and illness or whatever it is, just ask Jesus to change your heart. And he may choose to remove something. He may choose to heal you. You just praise him all the more. But if he doesn't, you still praise him because his grace is enough. His presence is enough. You know, we've been praying at this church for years now for God's presence. And I know his presence is here. But his outpouring of his spirit to be upon this congregation, this church body. I've been starting to pray more and more because I'm just still praying for the church, but you know what I've been praying for mostly? And this is going to sound selfish, but it's not. I've been praying for God to change my heart. To have my heart always focused on him. Not the struggles, not the pain, not the temptations. I know they're still there. I acknowledge they're there. But I want God, I want my heart always pointed towards him. Because that's where I can experience him. It's where I can experience his presence. And that way other people can experience his presence through me. And he wants that for everyone in this congregation. So if we really want an outpouring of the spirit in this church, set our hearts on being in the presence of the Lord, every one of us. And when we do that, and not on ourselves and our struggles, God's going to open up so many. He's going to open up heaven for us. Have no doubt about it. I was going to do an altar call this morning, but I don't really think we need to do one. But I do want to pray for us this morning. And if you, if you do want to come up here, you're certainly welcome to. I would encourage you to come up here and pray. Pray differently, though, this time. If you're dealing with some thorns in your flesh or thorns in your spirit, pray differently this time. Pray to ask God to take your focus off of that and onto him. And when you pray that, there is no doubt God's going to answer that prayer. Every single time, he will always answer that prayer that, Lord, come into my life, 
Make your presence be known and have my heart changed towards you. He'll never say no to that prayer. Let's close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your life that you've lived here, Jesus, when you showed us how to love. You've showed us what grace was all about. Lord, and even after you returned to heaven, you still spoke into people's lives, spoke into a man like Paul, who had a lot of things going on in his life, even before he knew you and after he knew you, Lord. But this was a man that you taught to keep focused on you. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that may have some things holding them back. I pray for myself. I know there's things in my life that hold me back. And I know, thankfully, Lord, that your grace is enough that you will stay and you will wait for us to move forward. Thank you for your grace on that. But, Lord, I know you don't want us to stay where we're at. As Paul described, that it's a race we're trying to get to become more like you, where true peace is found. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here that is dealing with some thorns in their life, Lord. Would you, yet we do pray that you will take them away, Lord. But if you choose not to, Lord, would you help them, would your Holy Spirit help them to keep focused on you alone? To keep focused on your sustaining grace. Because you said, Lord, in your word, in our weaknesses, then we are strong because of your power of your Holy Spirit when we are focused on you. Lord, we do pray for an outpouring of your spirit here on this church, Lord. I know you're here with us, Lord, but I know we need to get more focused in on you and not on all the daily activities of our life, both good and bad. When we are completely focused and devoted to you as a church, Lord, I know you will open up heaven. You're doing it already in other places in this country, thankfully. Lord, we pray for you to do it here. In Jesus' name, amen.